Let's talk about unity in community. Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 116 of the Africana Woman Podcast. My name is Chulu, your host. I am a storyteller by design, commander of words, wellness entrepreneur, and coach. Sis, are you new here? Oh my darling, it's a party. (laughs) Welcome my darling, where have you been? Then we have been waiting for you. Yes, you. You have officially joined that family you never knew you needed. You are about to have those conversations you never knew people had. And I'm so, so excited for you. Click the subscribe button and tell someone about the amazing podcast you just discovered. And to you, our dear loyal listener who comes back week after week, week after week. Thank you so, so much for your love, your support and encouragement. Ah, oh my goodness. Listen, this is the last episode of season four of the Africana Woman podcast. Ah, can you believe it? I have enjoyed every single millisecond, and I think you will agree with me, that the women of season four have brought the house down week after week. Uh, uh, (laughs) All right, so this final chat that you are about to hear is with Kupela Clark. First of all, She is so funny. (laughs) And in the same breath, she will challenge you to dig deep within yourself. Ultimately, we're discussing the power of community. And I must say, coming off of the first leg of the Africana Woman podcast tour, I can testify. I am a testimony. (laughs) (laughs) that we are stronger together. I keep saying this, the Africana Woman podcast tour has only been made possible by the Africana Woman community. They galvanized and mobilized resources in ways I don't have time to explain. But my goodness, I cannot imagine having to do this in my own strength. On 29th April 2023, we had our first event in Kabwe at Cafe Chocanilla. Side note, guys. Hey, we always start on time. Like, yeah, we don't subscribe to African time. So, shem. Shem for the people who are planning to arrive late for our future events. (laughs) Because you're really going to miss out. And it's such a shame. I actually really do feel bad. But anyway, that's a side note. So first, I have to give a shout out to the team at Cafe Choconilla. Sam, Sarah, Omo, Chef Kate, Michelle, and everybody else there. Simply, these guys are brilliant and they are a talented team. I am just so grateful. They made our life so easy and stress-free. 
I, I like I'm so grateful. Then of course there's the Africana Women Core team, Chikwan and Kole, and I'm sure you'll meet them on the road if you're coming to the podcast tour. Like I just love that I can be comfortable to do what I need to do and not have to worry about stepping in because somebody else is not um you know working to their highest level. But when you have a team that is operating in their genius, it is such a beautiful, beautiful space to be in. Now, can we talk about the actual event? Like, people are sending me videos. They're still sending me videos and pictures. And I have been beaming. I have been smiling from ear to ear, thinking about the event. And looking back, let me tell you. First, let's start with the guest speakers. Dr. VSO Chileshe, Chingaba Mukuka, and Christopher Ngongala Ranke. <sighs> they had us laughing, we were crying, they stretched us and challenged us to look at to look at life differently. Oh my goodness. And then the audience, the ladies who attended. Listen, I think most of us didn't even know what we're attending. We're just like, hey, everyone was like, oh my gosh, first time. I'm like, yeah, even me, it's first time. So we didn't know what we were going to get ourselves into. And they just trusted the process. And it was such a beautiful space, a safe space, you know. Um, they were engaged, lively, asking questions. Because, you know, you definitely can get to a, a, an event and you ask a question and then no one is asking any questions. <laughs> but these women were so active and it was so beautiful. Like, oh, oh my goodness. I think uh, Chingaba said it so well on a social media post. She said, we came in as strangers and left as friends. That really just sums it all. So the whole event was a culmination of our values as Africana women, which are connection, celebration, and collaboration. All in all, we had a great time, and I'm so looking forward to our next podcast tour city, which is Lusaka, and we will be there on the 6th of May, 2023. Okay, I'm sure you're like, okay, we get it. You had a good time. <laughs> Can we get to the conversation? <laughs> All right. I know you're eager to listen to this conversation with Kupela. Please enjoy. Kupela Clark is the co-founder and managing partner of One Square Kilometer, a property development partnership that provides innovative financing and project management for redevelopments while creating affordable, climate smart, and inspiring accommodation for young people. The partnership redevelops urban slums across Lusaka. Her past professional career focused on public health project management in Zambia. Over the last 15 years, she managed multiple multi-year, multi-million dollar projects in the development sector funded by DFID, EU, USAID, and CDC before managing multiple CEDA grant recipients. Ms. Clark has also managed strategic communications in the organizations she has supported, leading content curation and official communications. She holds a master's in African studies and a master's in public health from the University of Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar 
and a bachelor's in human genetics and medical biochemistry from the University of Cape Town. Guys, help me welcome Ms. Capella Clark to the Africana Woman Mic. <laughs> Hi. I know. Hi, that sounds like an imposter. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whose bio that is. Some days I'm just like, why did I do all that stuff? But I'm very grateful to be here and to share my story. If it helps anyone out there, you know, it's always good to have the more the merrier to do all these crazy things. So happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, so I always start with what is your favorite childhood memory? Oh, wow. It's, it's always Christmas. Yeah. Christmas is just a wonderful time. <laughs> I'm one of those evil people. I get nervous around Christmas because it has to be perfect. And, you know, I have to match every year's memory. So maybe the, that excitement comes from childhood and the surprise of, of every year. I love Christmas. Yeah. yeah. What was Christmas like for you? What did you guys do? Okay, so Christmas is obviously a very Western culture. So my dad is British. Um, he, he, he's an Englishman. He, he, he came here about now over 50 years ago, but he never left Christmas behind. <laughs> he came with it, lock, stock and barrow. And we had that, you know, that plastic tree and we pretended there was snow. And I never knew what snow was for the longest, but I knew it belonged on the tree. <laughs> you know, it's just a magical tradition. And we always have a very big family meal and everybody gets somebody else a present. And we, sometimes we do sort of like a secret Santa mm-hmm. uh, and, you don't, and, you know, and, and I honestly believed in, in Santa Claus until I was 12. Like I was like, this guy's there, he's around. <laughs> so it's something that, uh, you know, my, uh, my dad did a very good job holding up all those years until my, my sister was like, what is wrong with you? Santa's not real. <laughs> Oh no, oh no. She's like killing young young children's dreams. What's going on? I could have reached twenty, I'm sure, thinking this guy's just, you know, is a philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs> he's out there just, you know, giving to the poor children of Africa all day long. Yeah. So. Oh, that sounds so sweet. And you grew up uh, in which t- in which town? Okay, so both my parents worked for the University of Zambia. Oh, and I grew up in a plot of land right next to the building behind me. Opposite the building behind me is, is the University of Zambia. And that's essentially where I spent the very earlier part of my life. So one to about five years old, I used to play in Goma Lakes, you know, used to roll around on the grass, you know, go, go look at the cows from the veterinary school, you know, try what we thought were fish from the Goma Lakes were actually tadpoles. We yeah. did all that. You know, nonsense and play. You know, we used to play by clothes. You know, yeah. so we were in the B, the B court, the C court, and we had little rivalries <laughs> between the streets. In you know, playing Ichidulu and game, and then you know, you, you we, we would be in the rubbish pits picking all the bits for the balls. So I had that very, I guess, quaint uh, upbringing uh, uh, until we moved much further out of town. My parents retired, and then they moved to the sort of Avondale, Charleston area. So I'm very much a city chick. I'm a Lusaka chick, born and bred. Mm-hmm. And it's a place that I know and love. Yeah. Listen, your childhood is just magical. I love it. Because <laughs> these kids these days, they don't know anything. They don't play. <laughs> they don't know how to play. <laughs> they don't know how to play. They're like confused. Like you show them grass. They're confused. Bumbling their bow. Even find a stone of a perfect weight so that it doesn't, it's not so 
heavy, but it's not so light. You know, you spend time picking that thing for the pomba. So, and then the malegen now, or the sack, you know, so we spend a lot of time in rubbish pits. <laughs> for a good cause. <laughs> so I, 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 I had an amazing childhood, to be very yeah. honest. And when you were growing up, did you have an inkling about what you would um, eventually end up doing? You know what? It's funny because I have an analogy for this interview. I feel like it's like levels, kind of like the building behind me. You know, you have your foundation level, then you have the ground level, then you have level one, then you have the top level, and then you have the next level, you know? So the childhood is really the foundation level and the ability to dream and to think big. And I know those games we used to play, whether you believe it or whether you don't, they're so foundational because we used to play, you know, we used to make houses from clay. Exactly. Did you ever do that? You find like a little mud uh, anthill and you know uh, a whole bunch of girls are making dollies. I used to make houses. <laughs> I would put my foot in there and then cover the clay on top and then carefully remove my foot out and then be like, ah, it's standing, you know? And then if we'd go to the beach, which would be Kariba for us, there was no... <laughs> yeah, that was the beach, you know? My brother and I would get sunburned just sitting on the beach building, you know, bucket castles or, you know, mm. all those kinds of things. Uh, and it, it used to petrify my mom because I don't think we perceived the danger of a hippo or a crocodile because the building was, you oh, know, and have <laughs> So I think it's something children do all the time. Children build. Look at Lego. Yeah. Half the fun is this block, that block, what can you make? You know, so you, my brother would be making cars. He would be making cars. And so that. I used to build houses. Yeah. I even have a vivid memory. I was thinking about this the other day. You know how you have a bunk bed? Mm-hmm. When I have a bunk bed. Now those bunk beds with plangas, not with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, with plangas, you can, now if you're small enough, my head could pop through one of those plangas, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd be on the bottom back where I used to sleep and my brother would sleep on the top. Now, not these to my, not these to my fancy spring mattresses we have there. That proper foam thin mattress was the one my brother used <laughs> So I would push my head through those plangas and get books and hold the mattress one up. So the yeah. mattress became the roof. Yeah. The base became the first level. Yeah. And then my bed would be the ground level. And I would play with my Barbie dolls or whatever and say, yo, we're going upstairs. <laughs> no, I think, I think these signs are there. You, you, you pay attention to your kids. So I yeah. think I've always had a bit of a builder's bug. And I always thought, you know, it would be nice to go up. <laughs> you know, so that's my foundation level. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's really cool. Okay. So now, I want people to to kind of understand the journey from human genetics and medical biochemistry to one square kilometer. It's like what just happened? <laughs> we only you said we only have what forty five minutes. <laughs> Let's see if we can do this. Okay, so the ground level now, right? Mm-hmm. You. You know, you go through this Zambianness of you must just do well. You must just do well. You must just be the highest. You must do the. So I was doing well. I was the highest. I never got any career guidance. And then suddenly you must go to university. What are you going to do there? Who and what process informed that? And my dad would be like, you know, looking at who you are, I don't know. But I was really good at math. I was really good at biology. And I could kind of do it. And I was also a party girl. I could kind of do it without thinking or blinking. This yeah. thing of writing essays and what, you need to sit down and <laughs> think. It didn't come naturally to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, my, you know, 
that statistics, what I could do it like done, let's go now. Pub, <laughs> you know? So I, I ended up specializing in, in, in math and biology, which only takes you either to medicine or life sciences or maybe chemical engineering, whatever it was. So I just went down that funnel. But my dad was constantly saying, I'm sure this is what you want. And, and you know, he's white, right? So white people are like, you should follow your heart. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and then my, my Zambian mother's like, you're going to be poor. You're going to be very, <laughs> just become a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do this as long as at the end of it, you're a doctor because I need a doctor child. <laughs> And I, I think I, I, I ended up doing a minor in economics because I actually also loved history. So I knew I have all these talents, but I had an interest in history, but I didn't have the discipline to read all those books, write all those essays, but I kept it kind of near. And I think my, my father and my sister must have picked on that because they were always, they would always engage into political debates, philosophical debates. Why are where we are? Where should we be? Where have we come from? And all these other kinds of things. And you don't know that you're marinating in that soup, right? So again, you're, you're just on the ground level. You're doing what's easy. I wasn't challenging myself. And I ended up with this degree. And I ended up working in a laboratory. And I just said, God, this is boring. I was talking to these petri dishes that were not talking back to me. And you put them in the fridge and you work at 3am in the night. You're working with liquid nitrogen. You occasionally have to do radioactive materials. And I was sloppy because I really wanted to go out and meet people and party because I'm in college. I just said, no, this is not working. Let's try the, let's try the medicine route. Hmm? So I decided to do a work, a work abroad program. In the UK, and I did the dirty work of wiping British bums, as my father said. <laughs> I did caregiving. But, you know, that was really good. It, it, you get paid for it. I don't know if I would have done it in Zambia. That's a worry. I mean, I did for my grandma. So I knew I loved old people, <laughs> older people. And I loved their history, the conversation, you know, where they're coming from. And so I worked for old people in the UK. And I loved that. But most of them were paraplegic women. There were women who had, you know, motor neuron disease and all, all kinds of you know, stuff. And I realized that sick people are really sad. They're depressed. And I'm, I'm a firecracker. I can only put so much energy into it before I start being affected by their energy. And I started suffering from like some kind of weird depression because they're depressed and I'm depressed. And even my, then it's cold, it's wet, it's wintry. It's just a, I just thought to myself, if I do medicine, this is my forever after. This is my next level. Forever. And I said, uh, it's okay. To not want to be a doctor, I broke my mother's heart. I said, "Med school. Hmm. Let me just <laughs> let me explore this history angle that I've been ignoring for so long." And that's how I ended up with the masters in African studies, right? Because it talks about a whole bunch of things we all need to know really, really early. That where we are and how things are, are absolutely connected to 400, five years, 100 years ago. And you can't say, this is just something that happened long ago. You know, we would interrogate concepts like Africa. What does Africa mean? Where did this name come from? It actually means this. It actually means that. And then we, we went through, you know, things like Orientalism, which is otheringness. Even the way we study is not African. The epistemology of how we learn about Africa is not African. You find that your classmates are coming from embassies because for them, they are furthering some political interest from where they're coming from. You are there because, you know, I just, you know, it's just a, it's just a jaw really. And then it started to really sink into me and affect me and change me. And I think 
it's an important lesson that you should allow your moment, your, your now, to affect you, infect you, so that you can make the changes you need to make. I think that's when I became a little bit intention, a little bit more intentional rather than doing the easy thing of I'm good at this, so I'll do this. And also in Zambia, we have this thing as, oh, you do math, you should be an engineer. <laughs> you know, we do these things. Whether we do it knowingly or unknowingly, we know that we prefer a child that's financially secure. And you're looking at the job market and you're and now the problem is you're, you're giving them advice now for somebody who's showing up 20 years from now in a job market, right? So I feel like there's such a disconnect that we're not in control of where we are going. I really, really feel like we're not reacting to our current state and our history. And you could say that's a political space. You could say that's an economic space. But I think even as families, even as individuals, even as friendships, we are not intentional. We're not. At an individual level, we are competitive to the core. What are you doing now? Where are you now? Oh, you're back. Why are you back? Hey, you know, so I think it, the course prepared me for that dialogue of who am I? Who are we? What do we stand for? What do we fight for? Have we really even fought for anything? You know, that course even started saying, like, was there really independence? Or were they like, eh? If we don't liberate these people, there'll be another Mau Mau. <laughs> so before Mau Mau finds us everywhere. So because of what happened in Kenya, because of what happened in Nigeria, they said, okay, we don't even have that many white people here. All the white people here, you know, like that. Is this a settler situation? Is this a, a true liberation struggle? What does it mean to be Zambian? We have those discussions. What is the nation building process for you to say this is Zambian? Our flag. Our national anthem, are they truly Zambian? What is Zambian, you know? So I think it's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ellison, who is a, a, a white lady, designed our flag and our coat of arms. If you look at our coat of arms, it's a ridiculous thing. It's like a little zebra doing what? I don't know, downstairs, the feet. And then <laughs> but this dude, Mumbayachi shorts. <laughs> I mean, that's why Mumbayachi has those shorts. And then there's this lady... She's not wearing shorts, right, because of the time. She's in this, like, squaggy, not even Tenge, because Tenge itself is not, I, I don't know. It's very confusing, Chulu. That was my master's in African studies. It was a world, and it's only nine months. It was like, woof, woof, woof. And in the middle of that, I, I, I got, I never wrote it there, but I got my second master's degree in motherhood. I, I got pregnant, and I took a year off between my master's degrees to have my daughter. She's now um 14 years old this year. And now I had motherhood to say, oh my goodness, you know? And then I had this mention, but maybe it was self-imposed, but like, oh yeah, you Africans give birth really early or easily. <laughs> so I was very confused and very conflicted that year. But I think it's a conversation, an internal one or an external one. I think everybody needs to have it at a fundamental level and really answer, what are we standing for? Yes, I understand my career, but what does my career mean for my family? What does my career mean for my community? Like, how am I intentional? Is the competition really, I have a salary, I have a good one, I have a pension, I'm not going to suffer. And you've saved yourself and you are fine, you know? And then on top of that, I'm a Rhodes Scholar. So a Rhodes Scholar puts you in touch with a hundred other people who've been picked for their ability to serve their communities. It's about fighting the world's fight. And the, the, the person who's give this, given this money is um, Cecil Rhodes. 
And he was in the process of building a railway from Cape to Cairo. So he's looking for individuals that are big picture thinkers. So again, it was so much pressure to be a mother, to, to get a career, to, to, you know, and all this coming in. And then I'm in the UK, I'm not exactly white. Opportunities are not exactly presenting themselves. And that's how I decided for me, my child and our future, we're going back home. So anyway, I'll pause there. That's a little bit about the, the ground level. <laughs> like you have said so much, so much. Like people will literally kill me. Like, oh, I, can't, I don't even know if I can go back to everything. Okay, first of all, <laughs> um, I think it's fascinating, you know, living in a home with, um, I think, you know, different cultural ap- approaches to, I guess, education, um, and parenting, like you said, your father's like, you know, is that really where your heart is? Your mom is like, my dear, I don't want a poor child. <laughs> you need to make that mula. <laughs> so, you know, that, that is, um, that's interesting. That's, that's so interesting that you're hearing these different views and different, um, sides. And I guess following one way and then eventually finding your way, um, back to following your heart as well. Um, and then, you know, when you started talking about the African studies, um, for me, the immediate thing that I was thinking was, you know, what does African studies even look like in, uh, a country that's not African? You know what I mean? Like, what are they, what are they going to say about us? Like, why does the agenda? course even exist? Why does the course exist? Exactly. Do we have at UNSA here European studies, Chinese studies, Mexican studies, DRC no. studies? So then I'm like, like, how, how, how is, how does that even work? And, you know? And actually, it's by, so they call them area studies, mm. right? So it started off with, London School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS. Okay. So it's like a, yeah. a school of thought. Yeah. You know, there were a bunch of anthropologists, historians, and then I think it's grown to, to include political scientists, sociologists, yeah. and the rest. but it's actually the art of studying another people. So the Orient is yeah. everything east of Europe. <laughs> And they're arguing is does that tell at Turkey or it doesn't tell at Turkey? Eh. Who is who is out, you yeah. know? Yeah. So so yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a true reflection of the last I, I would say two hundred years. And we're still and we in my mind I thought, you know, this is multinationalism, this is globalization, this is the UN charter, we are all equal. That's all in the big bad days of people controlling people. But the truth is the form just changed. Yeah. It just you know maybe a little bit more ethical, a little bit more uh, you know, accessible and it's not something for imperial armies anymore. You know, multinational yeah. companies are essentially carrying on that mission. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like you said, I I think most of the times everybody right now is so focused on what do I do for myself? How do I make sure that I survive? Um, and that's that- my page. You see, that's the page I went with. But yeah. the, the book I came back with was I need to figure my stuff out because I'm confused. Let me just go home and experience Christmas, believe in Santa. <laughs> 
just do the simple things. I really have to just come back and yeah. round yourself a little bit. I still had my dissertation to hand in and just do some stuff. But I think people don't talk about the conflict. We talk yeah. about the success. Yeah. Because it's like the whole point of it is I'm up here now. You need to catch up with me and I can mentor you to come up. But we don't mentor each other. To, how do you go through the fact that you, you, you're not married, you're pregnant, you don't have a job? Can we navigate that space? But you still want a career. Who's going to hold the baby? Those are the discussions nobody wants to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The support do I just fall out and say, hey, the scholarship was a waste. Wasted yeah. choice. Next mm-hmm. time you use someone, with, someone who uses contraceptives a little bit better. <laughs> you know, like those are the real conversations I would love to have with younger people. The people who are at a crossroads. Should I do this? Should I do that? I remember asking my dad, should I do that? And then he's like, you're 25 years old. Can you decide? Then he says, it doesn't matter what you decide. As long as you make the most of every decision. Mm. Mm. And that's where I think because you don't have enough self-worth, self-belief, sometimes you're relying on the person to make that decision for you. Then it's easy to say, but I failed because I wanted to, to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, like I'm negating the responsibility of the choices that you're making. And then, finding also, yeah. yeah, and then also, I think we don't also talk about that transition from being a, a child to an adult because like we assume that, oh yeah, we've sent the kids to university. That's going to change. But people come out of university like well into their <laughs> 20, like, you know, their twenties and they still feel like a child in a sense. But, you know, to be able to just take that responsibility of, oh, I'm no longer going to be looking at somebody else um, to be, yeah, the person that supports me or makes decisions for me, um, um, you know, and just be truly independent. What does that actually mean? I, I think and not not independence via slay queen because that was also a viable option at some point in my life. Let's just let's just do the the right thing here. We've been doing it for some centuries. This women, women, what what I can do it myself. I won't. I'm not going to do a Lamborghini by myself, guys. I've never seen it, but I sat in a Lamborghini and I said, this may be the last time I'm sitting in a Lamborghini. <laughs> hey, it's not going to happen again if I do it by myself. But if I right? stay here, maybe mm. I'm going to stay with the Lamborghini. You know, I think all those inner voices and choices to say, I don't know. I think, I think young women go through that. Like you're saying, um, they go through those points and it really depends what voice is in your head at that time. Yeah, and, and, and it's very easy to always pick what's easy to do the easier course because you're good at it, mm-hmm. because you're pretty to to you know leverage that and find a tycoon or you know find very multiple tycoons <laughs> depending. And I think that's celebrated more now. Yeah. I think than when I was younger, you know, being a sugar baby, and then of course you've got Beatrice. You've got Beatrice who will give you the one, two, threes. This is how it, this is how you do it. <laughs> You're gonna go that route. And She's like, pretty. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know. So we've got these voices. True. And you don't know that these 18, 19 year olds, they are being uh, you know, influenced, influenced. by them. Yeah. And it's 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 a healthy thing to say, where's your head at? Wait, how are you feeling? Okay, go that way, but be very committed. I, I admire Beatrice for that. Actually, I invite, I admire her for her courage. To say this is who I am, this is what I'm doing. Um, yeah. 
mean, if there are young ladies out there who are making that choice, then it, it means that they just aren't many alternatives for them. And I think that's what we really need to, to have these conversations, to say that all these choices exist. If you go down this way, commit. If you go this way, commit, see it through. You know, but I feel like this thing that we have no agency, that we can't decide, mm-hmm. is a problem for me. And I think that's yeah. where the gender-based violence comes in, the rapes, you know, the killings and all this other stuff. Because I think you find people who are very happy to kill their flame, to kill their fire, or are too scared to try different things mm-hmm. and to fail and to pick yourself up. Because also this picture of success means that nobody wants to fail. Mm, and if they fail, because nobody's going to say you failed. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the, the 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 thing of failing is something that we're so terrified about as individuals, and we just never want to do it. So we either play it too safe, and we're just posting. You know, we're kind of just going along with what's easy. And, yeah. but to try and put ourselves out there and do something, let's say different or do something, um, that's just out of our comfort zone. It's so scary because it's like, then there's this thing called failure, but failure is okay because you learn. Okay. It's part of the process. Yeah. And, and then there's this interview question, right? It comes at 18, it comes again at 23, then it comes at 28, and then I can't get at 33. <laughs> Where are you going to be five years from now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I challenge yeah. you if you're like me and you've been through those numbers. <laughs> How many of you, exactly when you're at 18, your five years remain the same at 23 and remain the same at 28? You know, it changes. And I think that's something else that, you know, it's okay that you don't know because the truth is, I never knew how to answer that question. I would look at who's asking me that question and say what I thought they wanted to hear. And I don't even realize that I was hurting myself more that I didn't really know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, and it, it, it was something very scary to me to admit that I am a bit lost because I'm, I've got this degree in medical biochemistry, what, what in genetics, and I really hate being in a lab. It was a very scary period in my life. And I had very strong um, relationship with my father, with my brother, with my mom. And I think that's the support. If I said that, oh, I did all this by myself, you know, teachers, there's always somebody who you just bounce. It's like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And they'll take you so far. And then you have to find that, you know, now my, my, for me, I'm now on the top level, right? Yeah. You know, what, what, and what do I want to be when I grow up? is now very different. Now I was always thinking about, I want to do this, I want to, now my answer to that question is, I want a team. I want a successful team Mm. and I want successful team, teams, so that we do lots and lots of things together and our success is shared, right? Shared success. Before it was much more about, what am I doing, what am I doing, what am I doing? And I wasn't really groomed or coached to really think about what happens when you are synergizing. What happens when you find somebody who gets you, yeah. who, who who takes risks for you the way you take risks for yourself. And for me, that has been a key thing. We don't talk about it, but if you can find a sibling that can believe in you the way you believe in yourself, good for you. If you don't, I don't have that just yet. I have 
siblings who will give me ideas and will vet things, but they won't go into the dark cave with me. They'll be like, you go, come and tell me about you. Come and tell me about you. But I, uh, when I got married, I realized I found that person and we go into the cave together and we get lost together and we laugh. <laughs> like, you know, can, can you feel your way out of follow? You know, you'll do this bit of, bit of tag, tag, team tagging. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can find that, wherever that person is, yeah, like I said, some people, it's a friend. How many of us have friends that are willing to go into the dark cave with you? Except I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting my job. I'm selling my house. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do what you want to do. And then after that, we do what I want to do. I think that is true success. That's the page I'm on. I think if I can do that at a one-to-one level, I can do it at a team level. If I can get people to, you know, go over, above, and beyond for a shared cause and a shared vision, God, there's nothing Zambia can't achieve. Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. this number one culture, this individualism, this men versus women, this Mm -hmm. I'm the cleverest in my family, I'm the best dressed in my church, all of that, whether we act or where we don't, <laughs> it's killing us and it's keeping us where we are and we become very controllable because we are not a unit, not at friendship level, not at marital level, not at community level. We are Makwebo Muchech. Me, I charge you, I overcharge you for the chickens, you overcharge me for the eggs. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? You, you, so, you know, okay. so... Yeah, okay. So I'm just thinking around that because essentially I think how our um communities, how like, you know, like the tribes were designed is that we are a community and it's not individualistic. But right now we're living in an age of individuals, right? Um so you know, yeah, excited to leave your parents home, yeah, an individual, barely going back home or whatever, you know, you're chilling with your friends. It's it's very individual about what you do, what you achieve, and all of that. Um, but how one, how do we get back to um being more of a team, more of a community? And then my second thought is, is there like a a fear around being a unit? You know, like, is it, is the problem that we are all going to fight for who's going to lead this, this community? You know what I mean? You you know, like, or is it that, um, we are afraid of, um, being controlled as that unit. You know what I mean? Whereas you yeah, feel like very you're an individual, you can just do what you want. But when you're in a unit, then everybody has to 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 comply to whatever you know the agreed system is. But what are your thoughts anyway? Okay, you've asked two questions. I Where know. does it come from? <laughs> and is it driven by fears? Right? Do we have a fear against working as a community? And where does this... I, I wish... I, I, I used the word culture last night when I was with a friend. And she's like, it's not a culture. It's not a culture. You see? <laughs> okay, let me... Let's be intellectual about this. But I think sometimes intellectuals also, we just fall over ourselves, right? The first question is, where does it come from? Uh, definitely, it's part of our colonial legacy. The British brought in what they call the bifurcated state. Two states. First class, second class. 
Yeah. Then you have urban, rural. To this day, the word villager is used in a derogatory sense. Yeah, just a villager. Why do we do that? What are you saying? Every other country you go to in this region, Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, I went to a friend's wedding in Namibia. We drove eight hours to go and get married on a dune of sand. <laughs> you know, there was no intercon. There was no, you know what I'm saying? They value those communities to this day. Something happened in Zambia because we essentially had more or less the same cultures. We're from the same place. So what happened in our colonial journey that we threw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, by the time I went to my mother's ancestral homes, they were derelict they were dirty, they were underdeveloped, and the women carried on doing most of the donkey work. And I said, Mom, you are an established feminist. How can you look to this place with nostalgia? It's backwardness. You know, I even said it is backwardness. And my parents were horrified. Like, I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe you're saying that about your people. And I said, but no, just look at it objectively. There's nothing in my upbringing that has celebrated this place. And I've finally gone there and I agree. We don't invest in that place. It's the last place you go to literally at a funeral. And that's why we were there. Up until that point, and I was in my 20s when my grandmother died. I just said, why do we do that? And the truth is, once you strip a baby from the breast and take them to a colonial school and tell them that vernacular is dirty and you should only speak English, and when you celebrate those with a better accent because they speak better English and therefore they are more intelligent, you realize that we are wired to disassociate ourselves from our communities. And it has been going on since the 30s and 40s. And unfortunately, my mother was the first casualty. My grandmother was a very proud woman. She had her goni tattoos all over her body. Gorgeous. She had big holes in her ears to hold that ivory. And we don't celebrate it. We don't even know. I don't even have a picture of it. I can't even show you what I saw. That's why I think we are here where we are. And we need to go back and reconnect to get that sense of Ubuntu, that sense of community back. And that's why we are all celebrating Sampa the Great, whether we acknowledge it or whether we don't. We know there's something that we're, there's a demon we're still all carrying. And it also feeds into that self-deprecation as well. Number one, number one. You see, it's part of that divide and conquer. The British, the, the British uh, civil service was only for the most educated blacks. Is the, therefore, the only best job should be the, for the most accomplished Zambian. Me, I'm seeing parallels there. And we are not picking them up. We think that we were independent and that was it. Done. No, we were independent. And that's when the first day of work began. And that's why Kawunda had a deliberate policy to try and unify people back because we were actively, for you to pass from here to there, you need a pass. Okay? Divide. Only, only this tribe can be police officers. Only this tribe can be, you know, he had to undo, all, his team had to undo all of that. And we're still carrying, so that's the first question, I think. I'm not a historian, but from my love of the subject, that's and my personal journey. I feel that's why we are here. Fear about being a unit. Yes, but once people know that there's there's a, a sweet part of being part of a unit, you have things like Shipolopolo. Suddenly it's really cool to be a female footballer. <laughs> Who's 
so cool just 10 years ago. But there, it's a unit. People who are financing them. They are doing jerseys. People like success. And success comes from units. It comes from teams. True success. You can't be Shipolopolo just the captain. You can't be Shipolopolo. So we are very capable of working in units. Don't let anyone fool you. There's nothing particular about us. When it's very clear that the objectives and vision of the unit is one. Not, here's my manifesto, here's my manifesto, here's my manifesto. You need to agree. There's one captain, guys. Some things, not everything is democracy. Not all of us can prophesize. There's one prophet. <laughs> Come on. There's a formation. And I think that's where we struggle because we're still dealing with that baggage. Second example is village banking. What a phenomenon. This thing here, essentially, this is village banking. That's what unit can do. You get 12 people, focus for five years, put in, put in, put in. Don't worry, there's no thief here. Don't worry, there's no earthquake. Don't worry, the builder will do his part. Don't worry, the council will do their part. Every negativity, we responded with an action and a positivity, and we reinforced each other, and we support each other. It will grow. So it happens. We do it. And we do it all the time. Even churches, I've seen churches raise uh, churches from the ground. They are very, you know, they are, you know, so, so I feel like the paradigm is open. It's fluid. Yes, we went through this colonial whatever, and we are still healing. But in the strength of identity and the strength of um, networking, partnerships, relationships, like I say, wherever you can find them, it could be friends, it could be family, it could be spouses. Then that's when you see Zambians coming in. Once they've seen it's successful. But they won't come until you're successful, unfortunately. Maybe we, you know, we're still working on that one. I think that's why, for me, the next level of my five years is getting that sweet spot of, guys, what if we could? What if we could stop driving past Kalingalinga fast so that you pretend you didn't see what you just saw? <laughs> what if you actually want to go to Kalingalinga and it's our Mavoneng and it's our cool spot and it's our chill spot? And what if the very community that's there is participating in that if it's not at a cost of something? So you'll find your critics just shoot their shot and walk off because the point is to shoot their shot. It's not to solve the problem. And fundamentally, successful teams identify a problem and they solve it. So that's my answer. Yeah, I feel like I could talk to you for a long time. Okay. Tell us a little bit about one square kilometer. So um, just some background, guys. This is how I did find Kupela because I've been following one square kilometer. And I just wanted you to just touch a little bit on what you're doing. Okay. So how it all started is, um, as I mentioned, I had a child and I wanted to come back home. And I had to weigh up what am I giving up by coming home. And the truth of the matter is we live in a bit of a rough space, right? Um, you have a young child and you want to guarantee they're 20 years from now. So almost all of us, we have our day job. <laughs> and you obviously have another night job or a few other things that you do. And you're very typical. You're a very typical Samian. We're doing lots and lots of little things. And a lot of us, one of the things we're doing is real estate. So almost everybody I know bought a plot. They're putting a foundation. So I did all those typical things. 
whilst I was um, deepening my career in public health. And each project that I would do, I would get a gratuity and I would put that gratuity towards real estate. It's easy for me because there's no stock going missing. <laughs> the land is there, is not there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if you do those groceries or if you do chickens, I'm not there to count the chickens. I was traveling a lot. I'm a young mother. I said, no, let me do real estate. So um, my partner and I invested together and we bought our first property in Salama Park. Uh, I supported him to develop it a little bit further. And then we got married and we were able to um, acquire more property with a loan. And then the economy went crazy. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> and we got this loan on the assumption. And you know how we are proper Zamians. Right? It's like at the margin. So you get this loan. It's at 15% per year. And suddenly it's like almost touching 30 in the space of a year. So whatever monies you had planned, you times two. And this is like, and then your salary is not changing. Your, your salary is not rising by 15% every year. So it was choking us, literally, it was choking us. And we had to make the hard decision of selling some property and then having a little bit of money left over. And then I said, once bitten, twice shy. So where can we afford? Not that you buy a plot, you put the what and the what, just buy it and it can sustain itself. Okay, so when we looked at our budget and where we could buy, we could only afford in Kalingalinga. So that's what we did. We bought that property. And we made it into a boarding hostel and it was a complete fail and we lost a little money. <laughs> and then we said, you know what, what is it we're doing? Because you do what everybody else does, but is what everybody else doing solving the problem? You do the bed space, the bed space, you do the Excel sheet, you do your business plan and you look like, what is this person who's even in this boarding hostel? And you talk to them and you find that they're not even a student. <laughs> Yeah, oh, the one was actually paying, he's not even a student. So I think it kind of snowballed from there. And we said, you know what? What would have to be true for us to solve a genuine problem? And when we spoke to people, they said, to be honest, as a young person who's working in Musaka, I cannot afford to be commuting from the deep depths of Chalala and the deep depths of, you know, um, Obama, where I can afford, but then the transport is killing me. So for me, if I'm just here where I am, it's fine. But at least I'm a young adult. Can I have my own toilet? Can I have my own cooking space? Can I not have a fridge where somebody's going to just raid everything? And it made me think about that work that I, that caregiver I did in London. Because when you go to London as a young adult, you don't have to start buying a fridge and a mattress and a what. You don't have to strategically visit your parents to steal a wine opener, you know, everything. <laughs> You pay your rent and everything is there, you know? So then we said, ah, maybe we need to get our architect to ideate around these problems and tell us what would have to be true. He's, this person has told us their budget is this, their wish list is this. Can we ideate? And that's how this building came about in 2017. And when my partner and I saw the picture, we just, we were just so like, wow, imagine that in Kalingalinga. Like we, we, when we saw what came out of the page, we felt validated and we killed ourselves to at least put the foundation in. And then, and then reality hits in. We still can't get a loan from the bank. The bank doesn't loan to places like Kalingalinga. 
and I'm a contract employee, they don't loan to people who only have two year, three year contracts at a time. So what, what would have to be true? So I got one gratuity, put it in, did the basics, and then reached out bigger to my network to say, Hey, big sister. Hey, remember this, remember this, you know, what I mean? and who, who, who would have also want to be a part of this? So that's how we, we found two investors in our network who then helped us fit the first level. So, um, we did the foundation. Uh, we did part of the ground floor to shelf. And then they came in and put in the windows, the doors, the da, 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 da. Then the tenants came and we validated to say, oh, there's actually demand. And they exactly like our, our problem analysis validated. And we used that data to do it again. And then use that to do it again. So each, I would say, level paid for the next so that's how we've now managed to complete the project. It has taken us five years with 12 investors. You're just... Um, that is so inspiring. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so when you say investors, is it equity or um, like or like you, you, you've you um, paid them back um, already? Oh, very good question. We couldn't take a loan from our investors because we weren't sure it was going to work out. And a lot of our investors say, will I get my money back? I said, no, it's not a loan. It's it's 51% of everything. And it's also 51% of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's the risk that you take. But if it works out, then you're going to get all that share of the proceeds. And so the way we do it is we do it studio by studio. rather than the whole project because it allows us to pause at any point without having an obligation for the whole, you know? Uh, And so whenever we've not had money, we just slow down things, let the rentals collect a bit, reinvest like that. Um, But we've always had a policy to pay out our investors. Yeah. Their dividend. Yeah. Our dividends we invest back in. Mm. Yeah. So um, my partner and I get 51% of one studio and the investor gets 49% of each studio. And we paid out every quarter. So, uh, you know, January, March, April, yeah. uh, the fourth month we pay out. Yeah. January, yeah. February, March, April we pay out. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because you're saying that you you are you're working on like the different levels. So was that disturbing for your tenants though? Like to yes, it was. It, and it, stuff like that. It it was, but the way we did it is that we never. When you finish a wing, you close off areas so that they only have access to one. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when we delayed to do that, and we take the feedback from our tenants very seriously. They're saying, oh, "I'm not very comfortable with this," and then we quickly try and and do it. So the other deal we had with our tenants was no construction after six p.m. So for our tenants, they um, go to work. During the yeah. day. Okay. Yeah. And so the way it is, is that actually there are two plots next to each other. So we built on this way and that way. And if you think about it, we're not the first people to do that. The whole of Manda Hill was built that way. Yeah. Do you remember Manda Hill ever closing? No, never, ever. Never. <laughs> construction. Even the airport right now, national airports, the domestic wing. Mm. If you're going to Indola or Mansa or whatever, you're going yeah. through a construction site. Oh. But you just need a professional to come in and board it off and yeah, make sure. It and it should be safe even for the construction. Why should it be unsafe for the construction? It should be safe for everybody. So, yeah, you need to invest in a contractor who understands your site and your needs. 
and you inspect. You know, you have to inspect and do all those other things. Um, what has I, um, what has surprised you about this project? I think it surprised me that um, it's worked and it's worked with a lot of support. So that's why I wanted to say the fear about being a unit is not true. I've, I've met amazing young people who push me. They push me. <laughs> and they and without them, I don't think I would have been ideating and changing things because you have your idea of what you think they need. And no, they'll tell you, no, but what's that for? And this thing is not making sense. And that's not making sense. And they complain and they complain all day. Meanwhile, me, I'm just writing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this, if this worked, if you, yeah, it would be better. It'd be this, it'd be that. So all that feedback, we're actually in an ideation stage for our next project. Yeah. And, and really taking in that, that feedback. And then that's one community. The next community is the community around us, right? Yeah. Because you're outsiders. And by this point, We've almost been there 10 years, yeah. you know, and I remember one time we closed the road and this cement truck came in and was pouring and all this other stuff. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to take, these guys are going to chew my ear off. And I found one of the tenants outside like this. So I approached him and I said, I'm so sorry. We've closed the road. There's a breakdown. I don't know. Then he looks at me. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm very happy. I'm here. <laughs> I said, really? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when that, and I'm sure you have some concrete left. So when you've got concrete, just come and point, just see, <laughs> come and pour it outside here where my, my portion is flooding. And I realized we're actually, we're actually inspiring the community around us to do simple things like the area floods. So how can you backfill? Before I felt people are waiting for the council to come and this yeah. to this. For us, we we're just like, we're going to do this. So we ended up just digging the drain, removing the stuff, putting your own to Macalvets, whatever leftover bricks from the site, you raise the road, you do this, you do this. And then the rest of the street started doing it. Yeah. Right up to the end, people are doing wow. calvets. They don't wait for any council to come to come yeah. and do that. Yeah. This thing is coming. So and I realized this never used to be the case. Before you just wait for things to fuasa there and everything overflows and and now you even have grannies coming. Oh, that rubble that you have, I need to raise a a, a, a portion here. Can you help me? And I'm like, oh, okay. Then you realize the whole street is really young people renting from all from retirees, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. So they will come and they'll have a chat. Oh, no, my tenants are like this. How are yours? And I'll talk to this granny. Oh, mine are like this. And she'll be like, you know what? I've run out of water this week. Could you spare me three drums? I'll be like, ah, come, get three drums. <laughs> so I think there's a huge community. Um, there's a, there's a community in all these places and there's an opportunity to really change people's thinking before people felt helpless and, you know, just waiting for, you know, someone to come and solve the problem, but just people observing you, you realize even the design for your blocks, the same design, the whole, the whole, the whole street has the same design. And I'm like, is that by chance that they picked the same pattern or? No, they're just observing you to say, oh, when it floods, this part needs to raise. So we'll put the back gravel and then we'll put off cuts of bricks and all this other stuff. Are um, your units fully furnished? No, not all of them are. At the moment, 10 are fully furnished. Um, the truth of the matter is, it takes a lot of time to furnish them and we have to trade off between furnishing all of them and finishing mm -hmm. the build. Because yeah. remember, I don't use my own money. I use investors' yeah. money. Yeah. So what 
what what is progress? You don't want your tenants to stay in something like that for any length of time. So we prioritize to say, eventually they'll all be furnished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the level of demand and desperation, a lot of people are very happy yeah. when un- to be but closer you know, to where they I, um, it's, it's so funny when you were saying that, you know, you, you che- when you were boarding house, you checked and you actually talked to the people that were boarding. And you find they're not even students. I did that as well. <laughs> when I was moving to Lusaka, I, um, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, because I got a contract really quickly and it's like, oh, you have to be here. And I'm like, I don't know where I can stay. I don't know, you know, I need to find something fast. Um, so then I actually went and, uh, uh, rented a, a bed space or whatever in, um, a boarding house. <laughs> but the fortunate thing. Is that I was working for a um, an educational space, so they just assumed like, oh, she's a student, <laughs> but I was actually working. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> was it was it nice? Do you know what? Not necessarily, but it 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 did what uh, it housed me for like until I figured out a plan. Yeah, that's the thing. I think if if I want to end this interview, I want people to to stop saying that it's it's good enough. I call it the Sochabe effect. Yeah. Ah, Sochabe. Ah, can we stop that? Uh-huh. It's not okay. I walked into this boarding hostel and I just looked at how these young people are living and I said, this is not inspiring. It's not fair. It's mm. not right. Yeah. Nobody thinking about the young person's needs. They think about students. They think about families but they're not thinking about the in-between i mean really thinking about it and 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 solving a problem and i felt that a lot of how people then project themselves outwardly is affected you should be able to come from your hard day and be happy to go to your space okay it's a small space okay it's a mega space but enjoy your space you know, love the quirky tininess of it, but don't be bogged down by your flatmate has eaten your, your staff or you are, you, you are four in a room and you, just even the privacy of changing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Finding a filthy toilet. Oh, or, that's the worst. It's the, it's the, no, the, the, the shared toilets. That's the one that kills me. That's the one that motivated me to just be like, make a plan fast. <laughs> and then, and then, and then when you say this to people, they're like, yeah. That's the process. That's what it means to start out in life. And I'm like, you're even celebrating it. Mm. You're even heroing it. You went through it. You were disgusted. And 15 years down the line, that's what it means to grow up. And I'm like, we need to stop this and appreciate and and do better for young people coming out. You know, because if you're going through all that in boarding school, then again, you come and go through all that your first job. I'm sorry. Maybe students at university, I could, but I, I feel like. Yeah. Now, tell the future you to come to us. <laughs> We're going to, we need to grow. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's okay. my next level. That's my next level. And I, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope people pick yeah. something. No, and they course, definitely will. So I just have some four quick fire questions. Just tell me whatever comes to mind. Um, yeah. In the Africana woman community, we have a saying, which is know your roots, grow your purpose. Um, so the first question is, what are you rooted to? I love this question. I am very rooted to anything in Goni. 
I'm I'm contemplating learning Zulu because Ngoni is extinct. <laughs> I feel like really, really rooting there and, and, and finding a home in, in that space. Oh. I want to take that. Yeah. What are your favorite ways to nourish your mind, your body, and your soul? I walk. I can walk an hour mm-hmm. and, and take in the smells, the sights. Sometimes I do a podcast, but I, I, I prefer actually to just have the silence of, yeah. of, and the, the, the boundaries of just being by myself in nature. Yeah. It'd be great if like, I was thinking about this, you know, again, this is what Chaba effect, you know, proper cities have, you know, trails, yeah. like a trail. And we have so many beautiful streams in the Rhodes Park area, all the way to Munali, all the way to Nguere. We should have trails, city trails. Yeah. It should be shared. It should be, it should be nurtured. Anyway, third one. Then, um, do you have a weakness that is now a superpower? <laughs> I talk too much. <laughs> I think I've turned it into a superpower. I've learned how to pick the moments to talk too much. <laughs> but usually I was just on on. <laughs> I forgot to listen to anyone until I finished everything. <laughs> Maybe I've done it a bit here, but sometimes it's a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then the final question is, um, what do you know as a certainty? Oh, there must be a creator. Life is too complicated to have resulted by chance. Nice. Kupela, this has been absolutely entertaining, informative. I love the conversation. Please let us know how can we learn more about what you're doing? How can we support you? Is there anything that, you know, um, you'd like people to know about and possibly support? So, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I want everybody to know is we're launching this project behind me in December. So we will be doing a launch. I think we'll be doing a series of launches. Not a lot of space. It's a compound. So we have to do mini launches. And I'd very much love to, to have people to come and look. And we're not just launching the building. We're also launching the next project, which will be in Chile. Yeah. Nice. How, where do we find information about that? You can follow my Twitter handle. I think I shared it with you. Uh, the one square K one and the Instagram, uh, handle. We'll be able to share more information that way. All right. Great. Well, thank you again. Thank you for being a guest. Um, and like I said, I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I hope I actually am like, you know what? You need to come back because you were saying too much. No problem. It's such a pleasure and thank you for the opportunity. Bye. There is a reason the Africana Woman Podcast Tour is talking about self-love, health, and wealth. On a macro level, we need to understand that the remnants of colonialism, or as others would say, Neo-colonialism is set up to perpetuate self-loathing in African communities. That is why industries like skin bleaching or wearing foreign hair is rampant.
It is the reason that so many of us are focusing on an escape route to the West without giving a second thought to watering our own gardens. The lack of self-love is the reason why thousands, if not millions, are numbing themselves with substances or vices and the rise of substance abuse, especially alcohol, and gambling is a pandemic no one is talking about. We normalize this by making broad statements like Africans know how to party. That coupled with the insidious levels of violence inflicted on women and children all stem from a well-thought-out plan to degrade first your love of self, then your love of country. Our continent needs a mass transformation, which starts with the individual. I guarantee you, when you love yourself, it is so much easier to work with others. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but it is true. It's possible to not feel threatened by someone else's strengths. Instead, you are able to see the value of allowing people to operate in their genius for the greater good. Even when you are in close proximity of someone who is winning, it's not that they're taking away from you, but instead we are all winning because the benefits trickle down to you. Understand that wealth and health are a byproduct of self-love. They are so intrinsically intertwined, and I truly believe for Africa to rise, we must go back to our roots to love ourselves, value where we come from, and embrace each other to successfully create an Africa we are proud of. Please give Kupela her roses. Find her on Twitter at One Square K. Let her know you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and tell her what you learned. I highly recommend you go look up One Square K property development. Let me tell you, it will have you reimagining what housing can look like for all of us, not just the wealthy guys, for all of us, because we all deserve to enjoy our homes. This is the last episode of season four. Please remember that Africana Woman is now a network. So you have amazing new shows to look forward to. And please keep an eye out for all of that. My playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Please take a screenshot and post this on your status. You know, telling people about the Africana Woman podcast is the best way that you can support us. And I'm just saying thank you in advance. Ah, I want to just thank all of the guests of season four. You have been phenomenal. I am so grateful for all that you have shared, all the wisdom that you have given us. It has been such a pleasure to be able to share these stories. And I hope that 
you have taken at least one thing away from all of the episodes that we've had, please do share and let us know what has been your favorite part of season four. And I look forward to sharing our new shows with you and take care. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.